Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Guess what day it is. <laughs> Guess time. what day it is. Hump day. Woo-hoo. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome into the DMVR Nuggets podcast. <laughs> Presented as always by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DMVR whenever you sign up. Keep it up on the screen, Kale. Don't put it down put until I comment on it every time. Nine days away until we go to the mecca of basketball, Sambor, Serbia. Our trip. Nine days away. We depart in one week. We arrive in nine days. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a banger. Stay locked to here. We're going to start announcing more and more of our plans. By the way, Saturday the 20... Let me see. That'll be the 20th. Saturday the 20th, we're going to have a big meetup oh, yeah. uh, down at the Fortress. We'll let everybody kind of know when and where exactly it's going to be. So if you are in Belgrade or around Belgrade and want to come hang out with your homies, we can't wait to meet all of you. Talk some nuggets. Talk some Serbia. Maybe attend Beer Fest in the later together later in the evening. Who Why knows? Not? Why, Why not? Why not? Guys, today we have a very special show for you. He's already here joining us. You can go ahead and bring him on, Kale. Our special guest today from Bleach Report and the Hardwood Knox podcast, one of the great basketball podcasts out there. It's Dan Favalli. Dan, thanks for taking some time with us today, man. Oh, no problem. Thank you guys so much for having me. I should you. I actually give you a better title than just you know the host of Hardwood Knox, you know Bleach Report, but better than that, I will be a true. I would say. Nuggets appreciator, because I'm listening to your show, you know, over these last ones I prepare for this, you are flirting with picking the Denver Nuggets this year. Or am I right? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're kind of flirty. You haven't really done it, but you're like, hey, that might be the, the wild pick I go with. Yeah, it's a semi-serious dalliance right now. I don't have to go <laughs> yet, but uh, I'm coming awfully close to, to doing it. You, I think more analysts should do this. Like I always think of Ethan Strauss back in 2015. He picked the Warriors, and everybody thought he was crazy. And then like you get to live in infamy, right? He's like, no, I saw it. I've actually asked him about this. For him, he saw the preseason. He was like, in preseason, they were just. It wasn't just they were winning. They looked like what they went on to become. And he was like factoring that in with the fact that you know there's reasons people are sleeping on him. Um, he went there, but I'm not quite as bullish as you. I think I can see the upside with the Nuggets, but actually picking them, I don't know that they're there yet. They feel more like the, hey, don't be surprised if team, more than the, like, I'm going with them team. I get that, and I think there's still questions when you're specifically looking at the bench, but when you look at the caliber of players they have coming back to them and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., yeah. if you hit on either one of those guys' health and you get continued development from Bones Highland. And then I was, I think, a lot higher than most on the additions of Bruce Brown and, and KCP. 
this looks like a roster that's probably the most well-balanced, at least maybe in the top like seven or eight that they've had around right. Nikola Jokic yet. Agreed. And you look yep. at the ambiguity in some of the rest of the Eastern Conference, or uh, Western Conference, excuse me, a lot of those other teams, they're either getting older, they're going to be relying on a lot of youngsters, or they have their own injury questions. This would feel like the year to go out on a limb and say, hey, let's deviate from the Warriors or right. the, the healthy Clippers and let's go with the Nuggets there. That is an interesting question just about the deviation because there's a, this is, I think, the year more than any other where I'm curious to see which favorite. I have four favorites in the West. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but f- which favorites in the West fall off, if any, and which surprise teams are like, oh, wow, we didn't pick them as one of the top four, but here they are. They look like they can be that. This is the year where I feel like there's more candidates than usual to both rise and fall in ways we don't see. Even aside from the injury portion of this, just there's teams that you're like, I don't know if they're quite as good as they have been in years past and if they can reach those heights. But before we get to that, because you brought up kind of all the topics I wanted to talk about today. Yes, the health of Michael Porter and what to expect, Bones and, and those guys, but also the fit. But you mentioned something interesting. You thought it was the best core. What prior to this is in your opinion was the best core of the nuggets you got jamal you got michael porter you got nikola Jokic. was it gary harris will barton jeremy grant was it paul Millsap? like what what's the combination of players you think was previously the best i think it was probably along the lines of when it was like peak gary harris time for them yeah. we were wondering oh is gary harris like the next Kawhi leonard or something <laughs> like that and that seemed like it was um, the apex of sort of what that Nuggets team could be. And I think you saw, you know, I was really uh, attracted to them after the Aaron Gordon trade, that right. initial one. And it's really a shame that we didn't get more than a handful of games to see that core because we could be talking about that team in an entirely different context. But I think you probably have to go back, for me at least, to just peak Gary Harris um, to where I might have been as high on the, the balance, at least, that the, the Nuggets core has. And perhaps that's assumptive, but I would imagine that has a lot to do with Gary's defensive prowess, perimeter defense, something they really haven't had without him. And now, at least on paper, are primed to have maybe more than they ever have with KCP and Bruce Brown. Do you, where, how do you compare Gary Harris to, let's say 2018 Gary Harris to Contavious Caldwell Pope? How do you, how do you compare those two guys? Uh, KCP is definitely more of a heart attack on offense when you look at some <laughs> of the decisions that he's going to make in transition or off the dribble. But there's both, there's like this frenetic discipline about them on defense that I right. really appreciate with KCP. And I think it sort of flew under the radar a little bit in Washington last year because he kind of played the same position as Bradley Beal. And it's like, can you put KCP at the, right. the three? And that's not the perfect fit for him. The Nuggets, I feel like, are better built to sort of slot him where he needs to be. And I might also just have like, PTSD from them really just overworking Aaron Gordon on the defensive end. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, man. I've heard this a few times. I don't know KCP's game well enough. Like in the Lakers, I feel like when he was with the Lakers and they won a title, I felt felt like he was pretty disciplined. Just when I was watching, obviously, against Denver and in the games that I caught, I feel like he didn't color outside the lines too much. But talking to people, you know, in Washington and around, that's one of the comments they keep saying is he's going to take some shots you don't like. He's going to dribble too much. And I just didn't have that in that brain. But that's a concern you have for him as well? I wouldn't say a concern. I think especially when you have a, an offense that's orchestrated by Nikola Jokic and even Jamal Murray, and you're going to have these guys that want to move off the ball more. But when you look at, I mean, the Lakers and even the Wizards specifically, like there were some decisions in like transition, early shot clock opportunities mm. where you can tell he's feeling himself. And I ultimately believe it's worth 
you know, that's, right. if that's the opportunity cost, he's absolutely worth it. Uh, but I could see him maybe flourishing in a different type of bandwidth um, inside this offense when you look at how players work off of Jokic overall. Right. When he was in that defined role in the Lakers bubble run, and that's the guy a lot of Nuggets fans have in mind. Right. And you could argue he was the third most important player on that team, or at least in that series. He just... He seemed to be where he needed to be, hit every open corner three. The defense was there. But I know when you watch any team across 82, you start to see, you know, the ugly side of any given player or any given team, too. So I think maybe for Nuggets fans, we still have that ideal version of him in our heads a little bit. Is there any chance he's a bad fit in your mind? I don't see how he's a bad fit unless, like, his shooting falls off a cliff or there's, like, some really, like, mobile regression on the – the defensive end just because he is getting a little bit older but throughout his career i know the pistons kind of flirted with using him as more he has always been at his best as like this complement to uh, more than one star and we saw what he can do like um in that role with the lakers and now you slot him in with denver and you have murray you have Jokic for his inaugural season i find a, i i think there's a a higher risk assigned to bringing in Bruce Brown pretty substantially than there is to bringing in KCP. Interesting. And I think when you were talking about one of the things I had a concern about was he was coming in on a contract year and asking a guy to be a low usage player in a contract year is always tough. But Denver giving him that extension, I always felt like was a little of, hey, if you only average eight points a game this year, don't worry. Like you're, you're locked up. Your money's secured for a while here. So we, you can lean into defense and just pick your spots on offense. I mean, that's obviously the idealistic perspective on it, but we'll see. We'll kind of see how that looks. Um, Yeah, let me get into Bruce Brown now. So there's more risk. I think there's more risk because Bruce Brown is a uh, less balanced player, I guess. Like the things he does well are kind of unique and strange, and the things he does well does not do well are a little bit loud. Is that what you're thinking, or are you thinking more specifically the fit that he'll have in Denver? No, I think it's just like uh, him being more eccentric on the uh, offensive end, where it's can they use him? as a screener or to hang out in the dunker spot. And I think a big part of his success last year was he shot like a trillion percent on wide, wide open threes. Mm. And if that number just slips um, a a significant margin, I do think he becomes a substantially less valuable player to them on the offense vendor, at least a lot harder to to fit into what they're trying to do. Do you think he's going to get better shots this year in Denver playing with Jokic and and Murray and them or last year? I mean, last year when the Nets were fully healthy or even moderately healthy – they're getting wide open shots too because of how good they are in isolation. Where do you think he's going to get the better shot profile? I think they could be similar, but I would trust the quality of shots in Denver more because I, it's hard without having seen the Nets like really ever at full strength last <laughs> right, year. But right, like, yeah. The Nuggets are just inherently more inventive on that end of the ball um, when you have Jokic and Murray and even the way they use MPJ than if you have Kyrie and Kevin Durant and even James Harden, guys that you just want to put the ball in their hands and there's going to be a lot of um idleness from um, the other players on the quarter go stand in that spot there i think they'll be a little bit more creative with bruce brown and it wouldn't shock me to see if he just has like a greater share of his looks or maybe coming directly at the basket because he's able to score off movement yeah by the way i saw a picture with him wearing nuggets gear like equipment stuff i don't know it's always fun when you see a player for the first time doing workouts and stuff i don't know where he was i do i did hear i think wind was was talking to us the other day a big nuggets workout took place in miami over the last week or so or last couple days so i know some of the guys not the not all the big names in fact i don't think any of the big names but some of the role players it's just cool to see getting together right and working out and i think i can't remember but i think bruce brown was a part of that group um i'm excited for bruce brown we're gonna get into mpj here in a second but before we get into the specifics there 
to me, Bruce Brown represents Denver now has an all defensive lineup around Murray and Jokic. Like Murray and Jokic, you're going to close every game with those guys, you know, c- come playoffs. But now you can go KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon if you need to. We have a whole season to work through this. How often do you think they're going to need to go to that trio instead of Michael Porter in a playoffs? And then when you're talking about the Nuggets being a title contender, true contender, are you picturing that with Michael Porter closing against these great teams in a conference semis, you know, conference finals, whatever? Or are you picturing Bruce Brown out there? I'm probably picturing Bruce Brown out there, but there's like there's sort of a caveat of, and I think you and I had discussed this over a year ago now. Michael Porter Jr. was quite like a defensive playmaker for the Nuggets, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and before he has that injury, and so if he goes back to that level where you can trust him in those situations, that it not only gives you more variety to how you run your rotations at the end of games, but that's just like a player that another con- the other contenders don't have when you're looking at their after their top two players right now. And so yeah. I think that could be a big part of it. But right now, knowing just the iffiness with his his health, his back, and then I don't know how that's going to impact his mobility on defense and, and capacity to make plays, I do sort of envision that their best closing unit is going to be, as you mentioned, just all defense um, with Jamal Murray and Jokic. And it's funny, man, because I'm with you on the Michael Porter defensive playmaking. I The thing that's interesting, if you think back to the bubble, in the bubble lead-up, the eight games that you were leading up, Denver played Utah. In fact, I think they played him right before they played him in the playoffs, like a game before or two games before that. And if I recall, Michael Porter was dominant in the game. Defensively, you didn't notice him because it was they weren't targeting him. Then you get to the playoffs, and immediately it's like, hey, we're going to target him every play. And it was such a big contrast between regular season and, not, and postseason and how it operates. And that's why the Michael Porter question is so weird. Michael Porter could have the best defensive rating on the team next year. It's just possible that it so happens that when he's on the court, he is doing exactly what you're talking about. He's sharing the court with good players, you know, good defensive players. And it's like, man, when he's out there, he completes the puzzle. But then when you get to a playoffs, they just run different action where they're targeting every time. And you're like, well, now it's an issue. But it, but again, that's the beauty of the offseason in theory on paper. We just watched the Warriors go through this with Jordan Poole. And it's yeah. like, look, we'll just close with Gary Payton. And that's... right. Just gives you best best chance to win. I do think Dan made a good point, and to me, it's the you know among one of the many tragedies and, and Porter's missed time. When he plays, he gets better. Right when he's on yeah, the court, so he true. Does, his playmaking was trending up. I thought his defense, particularly within the context of post Aaron Gordon trade, right. looked a little better. So you just miss out on these time, and, and that's probably. I mean, you want him to be healthy for so many reasons, but all regular season. So that when they get to the playoffs, you feel as many of those questions have been answered as possible. Here's here's a tough, a fun one, I think, Dan, for you. Who's the most interesting nugget this season? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I probably would just gravitate towards Bone Highland because yeah. I'm pretty much in love with him. Yeah. Uh, Us too. I could also see it, though, being, I don't know if this is quietly or not, Zeke Naji. Just sort of looking at their front uh, court rotation off the yeah. bench. And I want to see as little as DeAndre Jordan as possible. But that's probably going to dictate that you can get away with some Najee at the five minutes. Can he rebound better? Or Green and Najee or your, your front court there. So I could see him, maybe not interesting, but being this huge swings piece. But Bones Highland is just like, I don't know that people appreciate enough. This is someone who is way more than just like found money in the draft. Like this, this is a guy, wow. look at what he does on offense. It feels like he is cornerstone material. I'm not saying, oh, they need to get rid of Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. Sure. to make way for Bones. But that is the type of ceiling that he has. And I feel fairly confident in saying that given what he was able to do last year, even some of the, and what was that game four against golden state? He just has that stretch where he's absolutely carving them up. I think it was 
that is just like, you don't see that happen on that stage from uh, a rookie like that. And he's so crafty on offense that I will forever just be uh, gravitating towards him to watch him. Those playoff moments in particular are important because as you're mentioning, they, those are like, the teams are locked in. They kind of know where the strengths and weaknesses are. And it's funny, Jokic was great in games three, four, and five of that series. He needed one other person to be great, and Bones was that, and they won that game. Like, if it, any other player was great in any of those other games, they probably get the win. Bones shows up in that one, and that pushes him over. Obviously, Jamal Murray will, will take on the main role where you expect him to be great more often than not in a playoff series. But Bones doing it his rookie year is, is important. Statistically, is there some, or not even statistically, is there some skill that gives you this confidence in him? Is it his three-point shooting? Is it his passing? Like, what is it that makes you think he's a star in the making, not just a good player? I think the two things that stand out is, and it's a small sample size, but he shot like 46 plus percent on unassisted threes after the all-star break last year. And you just saw, you just saw hints of like what he could do off the dribble there. And then it really is just his live dribble decision-making. When you look at some of the passes he's thrown, um, just the angles that he uses. I think he's someone where you could look at it. He was about league average for his position at finishing around the rim. If you told me he's eventually someone who's shooting like, you know, I could quibble about some of his takeoff points. But if you told me he was someone that shoot like 67, 68% around the rim eventually, he is just so good with the hesitations, the, the changes in direction and speeds. Um, that is, it feels like, um, the biggest aspect to star success in today's NBA is we want that, not just the shot creation and making, but the ability to be able to elevate the players around him. And I see that when you just look at his decision-making off the dribble. What do you think his role is going to be this year? Because with Jamal kind of hobbled, at least, you know, to start, you're not going to – I don't think he – Mike Malone's even come out and said expect 20 to 30 minutes from Jamal for the first, you know, X amount of weeks, maybe months. So do you – I mean, is he a guy that you could see playing 30 minutes a night? Earning – and I mean earning 30 minutes a, a night, just being like, hey, we got to play this guy. We're good when he's on the court. Can you see him being that this year? I would think so. And I mean, you, I think the biggest factor here is Jamal Murray is like, if he's going to be yeah. sitting back to backs and he's going to be on a minutes cap to start the season, uh, Bones Highland becomes a necessity for at least half the year then. And then maybe right. if Jamal Murray is Jamal Murray by that point, do you get into some tricky decisions where can we try playing them together? What would that look like defensively? Who needs to be on the court for that? So maybe you see Bones' minutes get slashed there, but specifically early on, it wouldn't shock me if this is someone who, and maybe it's because he ends up starting some games too when Murray isn't playing, uh, but if he ends up being like at the forefront, one of those names in the sixth man of the year discussion. Man, I, we we were talking about his odds, and the odds are like really good for him on DraftKings. Like, I think it was plus five thousand or something for six minutes. That was of the year. for most improved. Oh, that I was think. most improved. Yeah, oh, they were still like pretty, player, They were but. still pretty high for uh, you know for six man. And I'm with you. Like, that always goes to a score. Well, we think he's going to score, and it usually goes to a player that comes off the bench but plays a lot of minutes anyway, and that'll be him. So there's a chance he's an 18 point, 20 point per game scorer off the bench, even though he's playing 30 minutes. One of the things I like about the Nuggets, they have a defensive lineup now. We just discussed it, but they have some crazy offensive lineups, and I don't know if we'll ever see them. But if you wanted to throw Jamal Murray, Bones Highland, Michael Porter, and Jokic on the court together, <laughs> I just feel like that's one of those fun lineups. That, that could be a Warriors-esque death lineup with Jordan Poole where you're like, you can't run it in the playoffs all the time. You can't run it in every situation. But against some teams, it's going to be a knockout blow in the third quarter. Do you kind of do you think we'll see those types of lineups, and do you see it the same way, as bad as it might be on defense? Uh, I would pay obscene amounts of money to, <laughs> to see that lineup in high volume. I don't know if we would. I mean, you would have the better feel for this. Is is like Michael Malone going to be pro 
seeing that lineup. It would probably be come down to, well, what does that look like defensively? Who's your fifth? I guess it's Aaron Gordon or KCP there. Uh, I would need to see what it looks like defensively, but I could see Michael Malone maybe like not wanting to play that lineup really ever. Sticking with that same kind of theme, defensively, Bones Highland, what level of concern do you have? Do you have any concerns? Because he's a guy who on, on some level has a long way to go. On the other, utilizes that length so well. So I guess how do you see him sort of going into that sophomore year on the defensive side? I guess I don't have strong feelings there. I could see him being a little bit more of a disruptor. Like you said, you mentioned his length. I don't know if he's going to get significantly stronger between the end of last season and and this season, Uh, but he could learn. Look, when Jamal Murray got injured, like we had seen some of the better defensive stretches of his career because he's just so tough and can be so strong. And that's not like, you know, people don't know Jamal Murray for his defense, but if you're just looking at Bowens Highland for someone to learn from or watch to see how he's able to play at least through semi-consistent spurts when he's not necessarily like the biggest guy on the court, even though he's like a fine size for his position, that's not the worst spot for him to be in. But I don't view Bones as just someone that you're going to be able to move around or completely erase on defense. Like he's better than just a, a traffic going on that right. end for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, what about floor for Bones this year? Like healthy. I mean, obviously let's just assume health, but what's the downside uh, in your mind for him? Is that if they do sort of gravitate towards like, are we talking about someone who's playing less than 18 minutes a game all of a sudden because you have Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Um, and his role sort of gets capped by that. We could see his efficiency from three definitely uh, regress for sure. But if they end up being a team that's trying to cater more to their defensive lineups, I could see certainly by the middle of the year, if both MPJ and Jamal Murray are healthy, maybe he's someone that falls by the wayside a little bit in that rotation. NBA seasons, for, especially for teams like Denver that are not naturally great at defensively, like they're, they're always going to be more of an offensive team, I think, in the Yoke era. But teams, they go through this rhythm. First month of the season, defense locked in. Middle three, four months of the season, it's like just, you know, you're coasting. You're almost relying on your offense. And then you lock back in at the end of the year. The Nuggets have done this almost every single season in the Jokic era. And I kind of wonder if this season will mirror that a little bit. And if that's the case, you know, maybe Bones is fewer minutes. But come December, January, February, you just got if you can win with 120 points, just do it. Just stack up some wins and get to the postseason. I might I think it might follow a little bit of that trajectory. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. On the other side, let's take a quick break here, Dan. On the other side, I want to, to me, the most interesting nugget is Michael Porter. And I think because he represents, to me, the widest range of outcomes. Sure. I think Bones is right there. I think it's a good answer. Michael Porter, you could easily do. But to me, Michael Porter is the one that I'm just like, I have no idea what to expect, but I'm excited. Let's talk about him on the other side. You know what to expect when you're using DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook. You can expect. Uh, them to be safe, secure, reliable with your money. You can deposit, withdraw it whenever you want. And you know there are a lot of opportunities to win money. Right now, new new customers can get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Just make that first bet up to one grand, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get another shot at a big win. Do you have a bet in on Bones? No, I have a bet in on the Denver Nuggets. You have a bet in on, oh, I have one I have on the Nuggets, I have a very large bet. Yeah, I have, a, I have one on the Nuggets, too. I'm a uh, I've got a bet on Bones to win six, man. Oh, you do? I do. You got it in? All right. Whether it's futures, same game parlay, spreads, money lines, there are so many ways to play, so many ways to win when you're playing with DraftKings Sportsbook. So sign up now. Use promo code DNVR when you download it. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Risk-free bet paid out in the form of non-withdrawable free bet token. Max $1,000. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. 
Let's talk about our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group, longtime partners and friends of this pod. And My teeth are so clean right now. If you're a longtime friend of this pod, you know all about them, and you know we've had several listeners switch over to the Green Mountain Dental Group full-time. Why? It's because they're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro, and they're extreme Colorado sports fans just like you, just like me, just like all of us here at DNVR. Skip the awkward sports talk and talk about how dope Jokic is while they clean your teeth. By the way, if you get a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. What a deal. Chances are you haven't been to the dentist in way too long. So hit up Green Mountain. Do you know who we really need to get a sponsor? Your barber. You like that? Who is, is it? Like that cut? Who is it? I don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to get because it's, it's, it's your secret. Spot. It's your spot. You don't want it to get over. Times are available when I like them. You know? Really? I'm like Paul Klee fishing. <laughs> No one gets to come with me and no one gets to know where, secret spot. where I do it. Uh, I do have to tell everybody that this Saturday, our very first tailgate is going on. Uh, Denver Broncos, Dallas Cowboys. It's preseason, but you know what? A tailgate, it doesn't know if it's preseason, regular season, or postseason. The vibes are still there. That's right. The food is still there. The drinks are still there. Uh, what do we have? It's a taco truck. No, not a taco truck. Is it a burger truck? Scale? Slider. Mile high sliders. Mile high sliders. There, and you get as many as you want with oh, your ticket. How many sliders do you think you could eat? Uh, that's some good social content, but probably 10. <laughs> 10 sliders? I think I can eat 10. I think the food I could eat the most of is sushi. I love sushi. Sushi's amazing. Sushi is so good. I Michelle doesn't like sushi. Oh, that's a... I should probably... That's a tough one. Leave her. All right, we're back here with Dan Favalli, uh, Bleach Report, Hardwood Knox Podcast, a fantastic... Uh, little insight, Miroslav's favorite podcast. I know. I know. They've done pods together no, Number on this one, channel. well above DNVR Nuggets. Um, we just talked Bones Highland. Let's get to Michael Porter here. Huge mystery. There was a debate, somewhat of a debate last last night with Tony Jones, who's going to be on the show, by the way, tomorrow, about whether or not Michael Porter is an elite shooter. I am very much like, there's one thing I'm confident about Michael Porter. It's that he is an elite shooter. I think he's like a top five shooter in the NBA. If you just talk about making shots, where do you fall on this, Dan, about do you buy Michael Porter as one of the league's best shooters? I will say I saw that trickling throughout my timeline late on East Coast time. Uh, right. The argument of Michael Porter. I was like, this is peak NBA Twitter. In all yeah, this so true. Uh, I think he's definitely an elite shooter. I don't know where I would rank him, but yeah. you know, when you're talking about specifically comparing him to Clay Thompson, like, yeah, do you go with someone who has the larger track record? Sure. Okay, fine. But Michael Porter Jr. is just, he's in that vein to me. When you look at the way he, that he scores, and I think, look, Adam, you've said this multiple times on podcasts I've listened to. There, He's just someone who within the flow of an ecosystem can stumble his way into like 25, 27 yep. points per game because of how lethal of a shooter he is. And I think that's the best way to describe it. And it's not just someone who's able, look, his, his size matters and his ability, if he's ever able to create for himself even better than we've seen, but it's really just the catch and shoot stuff, the off movement stuff. Like he is to me, like, yeah, clearly one of the, the elite shooters in the game right now when he's healthy, obviously. And, and really is, it's funny, the, the scoring part is what's interesting here because I only buy his shooting. Like, that's the one thing that I think is, like, NBA elite-level talent. There's the other part about how well do you move off ball. Like, comparing him to Klay Thompson, Klay Thompson is among the best all-time at just reading a free-flow offense and finding where he's supposed to be to get open shots. And Michael Porter, I think, is pretty good at this, but he's not nowhere close to Klay Thompson's level. Obviously, the defense. Like, there's all these other things as basketball players. But I even think as a scorer, that's the thing is... Michael Porter's such a good shooter, but he also just – he doesn't have great moves, but he gets to the basket. He finds offensive rebounds. He's not that strong, but he finishes around and over so many guys. And so the upside for him – tell me if you agree with this. I would not be surprised if Michael Porter was the second leading scorer next year. I, I'm not predicting it, but I just would not in any way be surprised if that happened for the Nuggets. 
I guess I wouldn't be surprised. I, I kind of assumed, I guess, that they would treat him with kid gloves more than they would Jamal Murray coming back. And so you get into the question of how much does yeah. he play and does that impact the scoring average at all? But, I mean, he's certainly someone just because he scores so much within the flow. I, yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me if he's their number two scorer. He scores outside the flow too, which is part of like the frustration about him is sometimes you're like, what are you doing? And he still gets you know some numbers up. It's interesting your point about the kid gloves. We don't really know. And this is what's difficult. I think Michael Porter was likely had a green light to play and do some things prior to Jamal, but the injury certainly is one that's more mysterious and more, you know, third back surgery. So I don't know. And the Nuggets haven't really said they've talked about Jamal and the slow ramp up. We really don't know if there's going to be a slow ramp up or if this is just one of those things where it's like he's a hundred percent until if, he's not until he's not, and then he's zero percent, and we don't know if there makes sense to. I think that's a big part of it. I think also that perspective is the right one on how they got to that injury without people necessarily knowing. Like Porter's back, I don't know if that's something you can just sort of manage. Like you took the risk when you drafted him, and I think the risk of things going wrong are sort of always there. That's certainly how it seems. That it's not like a, hey, you obviously, I don't think you want to run him into the ground. I wouldn't be surprised he doesn't play back-to-backs, those types of things. But it does seem like he got hurt. There wasn't an incident, so it wasn't... He wasn't overworked when he got hurt. He's so. going to try to play basketball at some point yeah. in his life, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know? What do you see as his ceiling, though, for this coming season, Dan? Ooh, his ceiling? I mean, you could. I feel like we could probably talk to, about him in a similar vein as we were when he got the contract extension, like fringe all-star, especially if you're envisioning a scenario where, we're, hey, maybe he's the number two scorer on the, the Nuggets, but just the efficiency with which he's able to score, and then all the different ways, of course, you mentioned that he, that he can score. Um, that is just something that is you know, borderline unprecedented when you go back and look at his numbers from uh, 2020, 2021. So um, I, don't, I wouldn't put him in the all-star conversation, but it feels like he could be very much on the outskirts of that if everything goes according to plan for him. I think so too. The floor, I mean, obviously the floor for him is injury and he just doesn't play. But let's say if he's healthy, what do you see his floor as? He, he plays 65 games next year. What, what do you see his floor as? I think probably someone who is not in their most important lineups might oh, be his actual interesting. Score. Good point. If he's just so bad on on defense, or they're just they don't need his offense. If it's somehow superfluous and they need to lean into defense, maybe he's the player um, you know that they close games at the expense of, or even just have some of their best lineups to to close halves or in higher leverage games that he's just not a part of. This is an interesting question then, because you you mentioned do they need his offense, and this is a, a thing I, I keep thinking. When Jokic and Aaron Gordon were on the court last year, just those two with the hodgepodge of guys that were around them, I think they had a 122 offensive rating. It's Sometimes you look at a number and you just go, are they really going to be better? Yes, they're going to have better offensive players. Is there any concern at all that Jokic is 99% of this? And as good as those guys are, they matter in the playoffs. They matter in the certain specific moments. But in the regular season, they might be the same caliber offensive team next year. I would think they would have to still be better just by virtue of the non-Jokic minutes, I think would be a big deal. Yeah, yeah and, they, true. and they elevate the actual Jokic minutes. Like, you know, you're, you're throwing out 122 with him and Aaron Gordon on the court. I mean, look, if Jamal Murray and just the synergy that he has with Jokic and how good of a player he was, it wouldn't shock me if we're talking about, like, there are some heavily used Nuggets lineups that are approaching 128, 129, 130 offensive rating. So I do think they have the capacity to get better. But to your point, maybe it's more so in a playoff setting right. or just looking at how they navigate the the minutes when you know the you know between 10 and 15 minutes a game that Jokic is on the bench there is in basketball like 
you're a 123 offensive rating against 90% of teams and situations, but you're like a 110 against the other 10% versus maybe you're a 122, but there's nothing you can do about it. Like there's a solve for everything. And that might be what Murray and Porter represent. Yeah. That it's still really good. Like number one type, you know, five man lineups is what you're putting out there, but it's not necessarily the high peak that you expect. It just never gets solved. We saw in fourth quarters and in playoffs last year, there was a particular type of defense that right. was deployed and effective. And I think the value in having the aggregate offensive talent back is there's just more ways to attack. And you can't just have one game plan for the Nuggets with all those guys out. And Dan, one of the stats I I'd pulled out in two years together, basically all the minutes that Murray, Porter, and Jokic have shared the court together, the Nuggets offensive rating is 126.4. And it's a good sample size. It's like a thousand minutes, um, not a huge one. But those three guys at one twenty six point four, that is example. And that's before you get to Aaron Gordon, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Bones Highland, whatever other combinations. Those three guys, one twenty six point four, is higher than KD, uh, Steph, and Clay. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic too that they're they're going to have some some major peaks. Um, here's a fun one. What's what do you expect of Jokic this year? I think we all just kind of assume that he's peaked, but is there any chance that 2022-23 is his best season yet? I would say why not, not to quote Russell Westbrook there, but just like <laughs> you have better talent around him, and so some of his responsibilities get more streamlined, or is yeah. it something as simple as last season's version of Jokic who shoots 38% from beyond the arc rather than 335 or whatever he was at? Maybe the scoring dips a little bit, but we see like the Nuggets are capitalizing on his passes more, so his assists go up. And so I do think that there's a chance we see an even better or at least somehow even more efficient version of Jokic, even though I think he like never missed inside the arc <laughs> last year. Just and the shots that he takes there too. It's kind of hard to fathom, but at this point, when he's still firmly in his prime, I wouldn't dare like put a ceiling on him right now. He's twenty seven. Like most players statistically peak at twenty seven, twenty eight. Like I think he- you know, you, you, you might have a little bit of a, a better years later on in your career, but statistically they don't. And I just, I keep penciling in Jokic for a mild regression. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, maybe it's not. Maybe he's just a better player now than ever. And he has more weapons, more spacing, all of these different things that yeah. are going to take him to a new level. I mean, I think the only conceivable regression is just in terms of counting stats because there are more options. But like Dan said, and if that's how it works out, you can probably expect him to somehow be even more efficient. Ogi, oh, yeah. Ogi Stojakovic, a Nuggets assistant coach, was just on with the fellas at Nuggets Serbia, including Miroslav. And I know one of the quotes he said, was it had something to do with, like, we know that Jokic is going to have to carry early or something like that, which is kind of funny. We think Jokic's been carrying him for so long. Maybe he eases into this season. Maybe it's the opposite, and we get the best Jokic in October, November, December. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a little bit of a January swoon. Who knows? Um, be fine. Honestly, if it means he doesn't have to play Hercules to get this team past the play in. Yeah. I'll take a little Yeah, take January a little swoon. A I little lull. Yeah. yeah. Um what a, Here's here's the next question for you. How do you personally compare Jamal Murray really what you saw in the trajectory he was on prior to the injury? How do you compare him to Devin Booker, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Donovan Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox and Ja Morant? To me those are the great up you know next generation players. You got Damian Lillard and Steph Curry, of course. But those are the other guards, Booker, Shea, Mitchell, Fox, and Ja. Where, where's Murray to you? Is he in that club? Is he below it, above it? Where's he at? Uh, if De'Aaron Fox is in that club, Jamal Murray is certainly <laughs> in that I, club. And I, yeah. I'm a De'Aaron Fox truther. Uh, I think I would put him 
right in the jaw, Shea, Devin Booker, like that's someone who could work his way up to there. And I'm not even trying to be too rosy about him. Just when we look at how he was playing before his injury, even some of the postseason moments he had had to that point, um, right. this is just someone who is so good on offense. And the fact that he's able to sort of toggle between different existences when you look at having to play off Jokic and even the way that. they incorporated Michael Porter Jr. plus running stuff himself. Um, that's not something that if you look at Shea or even De'Aaron Fox or even John Rant in Memphis, that's not something those guys have had to do. Devin Booker's needed to do it in Phoenix. And so I find value in scalability and variability. And like Jamal Murray has already shown that he can do that. And so if he's going to stay healthy, I see no reason why he wouldn't be mentioned in um, the same breath as those guys. And then Donovan Mitchell, you didn't mention, but I assume you just meant him. All those guys kind of jumbled in the same same tier. Yeah, he's like more De'Aaron Fox-ish to me right now. We're like, I I'm love so that. certain if Murray stays healthy, I'm going to have Jamal Murray <laughs> over Donovan Mitchell. And that's not to say Donovan Mitchell can't get better, but uh, the defensive regression there from him over the past like two years has been very real. And I do think the uh, playmaking improvement for him has been uninspiring. I don't know right. if that's a function of what was happening in Utah, but uh, a healthy Jamal Murray to me, and maybe it's not so much this season because as you mentioned, multiple times, the slow ramp up, but sort of projecting forward, I would have him comfortably ahead of Don Mitchell. I want to real quickly get why you like Zeke Naji because I really like him too. That's how I knew you were in the yeah, tell you <laughs> when, I knew, when I heard that you're really into the Nuggets, and then you said Zeke Naji is your most interesting player. I was like, yeah, he's... What is, what is it you like about him? He's in there. I'm a sucker for anyone who like, like bigs who are going to stretch the floor, and his stroke just seems so real. And then there's something... I find interesting about when you look at someone who's your profile is a big, but I trust him to defend on right. the perimeter more than I do to protect the basket. Yeah. And maybe it's a morbid fascination, but I'm fascinated <laughs> by those <laughs> types of guys. And I do actually think that he probably deserves a little bit more responsibility um, on the back line defensively this season. And maybe that's just a function of, I don't want to see Deandre Jordan ever for this team. <laughs> so, uh, but that's why I've just been so curious with him and the way that he plays on offense and then, uh, how he's sort of this idiosyncratic defensive player. I, I think there's still like improvement to come from him. And I'm very interested to see, and you guys obviously have a better hold on this than me, just what type of role he has and how much agency or leeway rather he's given this season. I think Zeke's been a better performer than people realize in his like tenure in Denver. Like I actually think, I, I think part of this is he had such a horrible summer league that it's like paint tainted, you know, the, the perspective and, then he and got it doesn't, hurt too. and then he got hurt. But I don't think any of those things actually matter. He just does the things that he's supposed to do when he's out there, and he has done them to a higher level. But when you get to the point the Nuggets are at, it's more about what are sure things, and he's not a sure thing. Right. As much as I can have faith in him, he's still largely a mystery, and I'm going more off of what I expect, project for him going forward than, than necessarily what I'm certain he'll do. But this is a good year to circle him, because if there's a year where he gets or seizes that opportunity, it's probably this. And I would just say that Malone has said definitively that they view Zeke as a four, um, or at least he does. Just an educated early guess. It's probably Jeff Green playing the five, if not DeAndre Jordan. But yeah, some a partnership yeah. featuring those two. Real, real quick. So I want to get your perspective on the West here. We were looking at the best starting lineups earlier this week or, or late last week. The best starting lineups in the West. I think the contenders for the best are also the contenders for the four best teams. Golden State, Phoenix, Denver and the Clippers how would you rank those teams in terms of best starting five and let's talk about in April assuming you've had health and Murray and Porter have had a full season under their belt to kind of get their legs under them how would you rank those teams uh in terms of best starting fives I think I'd probably have the Clippers at one with the Nuggets at two 
the Warriors at three. And then uh, who's the fourth team? I'm Phoenix. 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 They oh, have a wait. great starting no, five, too. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably have Phoenix at three and then Golden State at four. What is it? So Golden State, you almost believe more in their like core three guys and their ability to just mix the right role players around them given the circumstance, but not necessarily like Kevon Looney um, and whoever. I guess Andrew Wiggins would be the other guy. He's been great, though. I, I think there's still just a distrust between Andrew Wiggins and I and, and how I view his <laughs> performance. And so that, look, I, Kevon Looney, you know, I can't believe they were able to keep him at the number they were able to keep him at. And yeah. I have no qualms about that front court with uh, Draymond and, and Kevon. But when you are going to rely on like Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins still as your primary wing defenders, there's just going to be uh, that healthy dose of skepticism there for me. How to give me your ranking for just give me like the top six teams or so out west to you in the regular season? How do you think the standings will shake out? Um, in exact order, um, <laughs> putting you I on the spot. Very, this is early, it's subject to change, of course, right? Uh, I would probably put the Clippers at one, but that might actually be stupid because of how many rest nights you know they're gonna have. But I'd have the Clippers. I think the Nuggets floor, if they're healthy, is probably the two or the three, and so I'm just gonna throw them in at the two. Okay, um, I'll put. Golden State in at three, just based off the sum of their parts. Phoenix at four. Um, I'm extremely high on the Minnesota Timberwolves as a regular season team. Okay. So I'll put them. I'll put them at five. And I am getting fairly close to saying some reckless things about the New Orleans Pelicans. This season. <laughs> I heard this on one of your shows. Yeah. Like, we'll slot them in at number six. Wow, the Pelicans would be the team if they're healthy. They could be really. Re- the- their peaks last year, like where they finished once they figured out who they were, yeah. they looked like a very competitive team. And then you got teams like Dallas in the play-in, Memphis in the play-in. Um, you know, if it shakes out that way, this just shows you how ridiculous the West is. That's pro- the biggest takeaway. Memphis is really interesting. I, everyone wanted to celebrate and credit what they did as it was happening last season. And yet, like sort of projecting to nobody. This season, yeah, you're right. No one's really too comfortable giving them some big. It's so leap. true. Um, and part of it is Clippers Nuggets coming back, you know. But it's it's an interesting team. It is. We've asked this of a lot of people, and a lot of people are pretty low on on Memphis. So they bet. Pretty. It feels like they bet a little too much on their internal development based off what mm. they did after last year. Like to have mm. to think that Zaire Williams is going to you know take the leap this year, and then almost need David Roddy or Jake Laravia to be a part of your rotation immediately. It just feels like, especially with the Jaron Jackson Jr. injury looming there, it just feels like, and look, it's coming from someone who's now been wrong three straight years on the Grizzlies, so this should probably be number four, but um, that's probably why I think a lot of people are overlooking them. Is there? A t- what about the Lakers? Do you, are they going to be a disaster? Is there any chance LeBron just rallies them to one last run? I think it just comes down to are they going to trade Russell Westbrook or not? Because I've seen the – it's not even just can they get Kyrie for him or Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. I've seen people think that if they just told him to take the ball and go home, they'd be better off. They need to turn that salary spot into people that actually fill the rotation because right. like that's how much they invested in the top. And so they would be a team I'd be a lot higher on if they make a Russell Westbrook trade. But where they stand right now – I'd probably have them ticketed for for playing territory. Was there Was there not enough made, though, of the fact that – a lot of their top and talent did not spend a lot of time together on the court. I mean, did we just never see the Lakers or do you feel like, you know, do you feel like you know what you've seen? I won't say that I feel like I know what I've seen because I'm pretty stupid, but I think we saw enough to know that like if Anthony Davis and LeBron were just healthy, okay, maybe they might've been like the sixth or seventh best team in the West, but like it was, it was going to be nothing like they envisioned it being. And the, the right. biggest flaw and just the, the downfall for them is when you have to just justify a trade by saying, 
Imagine what Russell Westbrook can do when one of the greatest basketball players of all time isn't on the court. Like you've done something <laughs> wrong if that's how you're sort of envisioning that trade working out. Right. Dan, always incredibly insightful and great perspective, man. Thank you so much for all of this. You got me. I'm, I, you might be talking me into bones, which is crazy because I thought I was already talked into I know. bones. I thought we were. High I thought I, I yeah. know. But here we are getting even more talked into bones. Uh, I'm glad that I could talk you a little bit more to Bones. I think you might have been the one that initially talked me in <laughs> to Bones last year. So I'm happy to return the favor. Thank, thanks so much. Anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Nope. You hit it all. Just uh, check me out on Hardwood Knox or my stuff is always at Bleacher Report. Thanks, Dan. Th- thanks so much, Dan. Have a great day, man. Great stuff. You as well. Take care, guys. Let's take a break on the other side. Stan Kroenke spoke for like Whoa. the first time ever, perhaps? I was, I, was, you know, I was thinking, did I know what his voice sounded like? <laughs> Isn't it crazy All how right. little he talks and then he gets on there and talks? And I actually found it to be a pretty compelling interview. We're going to talk about we'll that talk as about well it. as today in the Denver Business Journal, there was an update about the Kroenke's plans, developmental That's plans. We'll talk right. about that too. Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. They're also just our good friends. And they have a sweet Nuggets-themed beer. It's called the Mile High City Copper Lager. That sleek blue can with the new Nuggets logo. Well, it's not new anymore. With that Nuggets logo right on there. Uh, you can't miss it once you see it. If you don't know where to look for it, try the Breck Beer Locator. It's my favorite tool. I tell it where I live, what kind of Breck beer I want, and it tells me exactly where to go. You should check it out sometime and try out that Mile High City Copper Lager. Remember, Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNBR. Evoca TV is also a good friend of, of DNBR because they're the new goat in Colorado sports, the greatest of all TV. Evoca TV delivers amped up sports coverage for Colorado sports fans, featuring Altitude Sports, AT&T Sportsnet, and NFL Network. Get the most regional sports for less and just skip out on the billionaire slap fight. You still have access to your favorite teams with Evoca, and it all comes in crystal clear HD while using less bandwidth. It's only $25 a month plus a $5 receiver free fee, but right now, Colorado sports fans can get $10 off per month for the first three months. To score that deal, you go to evoca.tv slash Colorado 10. That's evoca.tv slash Colorado 10. Turn your home into the ultimate game viewing zone with Evoca. Gets the people going. It gets the nuggets back on your TV. All right, we're back here. Final segment, DNVR Nuggets podcast. Nine days until we arrive in Serbia. Some great interviews lined up with some fantastic guests. You guys are going to be excited when we get to when you get to to see some of this. We also <laughs> we found out. Vote. We arrived during Beer Fest, which you don't even have to know what it is. It's Beer Fest in Serbia. Uh, our first two nights, we're going to be at Beer Fest. I I somehow like I think I fist pumped and sighed at the same time. I was like, yeah. <laughs> It looks to be great. We've got we've met up with so many people. People have reached out to us. People have been listening to this show. Um, we're going to be doing a tour of the city from a professional tour guide. I'm very Ooh. excited about. Shouts to Goran. Can't wait to meet him. He's going to take us around different places and give us a private tour as we as we land. Um, we've got you know some great stuff going on uh, with regards to you know Jokic and learning more about him and some great gu- uh, guides. So. I'm just so excited for it. We're excited to bring you guys along. We're going to have more content that one week we're in Serbia than we probably have had in the last three months. So stay tuned. Uh, you're, you're not going to want to miss what's going on. And in the meantime, you see the shirt down there in the lower corner. That's the shirt that we're selling. That Every penny of profit from that one goes to supporting and helping finance this big trip. So get in. Help us out. We appreciate it. There's being a Nuggets fan. There's being a DNVR Nuggets fan. This is yeah. just that Vince McMahon meme. There's... Uh, being in the club by rocking D-Line's custom designs. 
And then there's being in the club inside the club. Bottle in the service. Back of the little club. bottle service. Bottle yeah. service with Serbian folk music playing. Yeah. That's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. Get the shirt. Get the shirt. Um, so yesterday, and an announcement or an event, Rob Walton, it's officially voted in. He's officially the, the, most, the richest owner in professional sports uh, here in the U.S., uh, sixty-five million or billion dollars, something like that. Like such an absurd amount, M- richer than like the bottom twenty owners combined, or something. Absolutely insur- absurd. The next, uh, the next richest owner has a net worth of seventeen billion, and wow. he's estimated between sixty-five and seventy. Wow, it's, uh, wild. So he's three, maybe four times richer than the second richest owner in the NFL, which is hilarious. Also, um, you know. Connected, obviously, Stan Kroenke right. married Ann Walton. So um, the Waltons and the Kroenkes have been doing business, as Stan Kroenke mentioned yesterday, for five decades. Five decades he has known Rob Walton and worked very closely with him on some things. So um, I don't – there's a weird like, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> but then you're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Condoleezza Rice. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, she's, she's in on it, too. Oh. Which, by the way, like, there's a lot of just, like, people that can get things done inside the Broncos this organization. So I mean, look. You can joke about Condoleezza Rice, but guess what? That gives you <laughs> access to, like, getting things done, pressuring people into getting things done. Look, you said this once, and it's the right way to, I, I think, view this particular thing. Like, your sports owner is going to be a billionaire. Of course. So they can be a poor one or they could be a particularly rich yeah. one within that context. And I guess the latter is cooler. That's a lot of money. It is a lot, a lot of money. But here's the here's the thing, though, that I think is actually more interesting is that, first of all, Stan Kroenke spoke to the media, which I just had. You were joking about it, but it's real. We don't hear Stan talk almost ever. ever. So the fact when you do hear his voice, I didn't even I was with you. I've heard it before, but I kind of forgot like right. what he sounded like. That's right. how seldomly he speaks. But I want to say this. I actually really enjoyed the interview he did, brief as it may have been. I thought unprompted he brought up the Denver Nuggets and talked about, hey, like, you can build the best team. You don't always win, and that's professional sports. We have always had long-term visions, which is something when, when, when Josh spoke to the media, I my biggest takeaway was I feel like I better understand the Kroenke way than ever before. Whether you agree or disagree with what it sure. is, I at least understand the perspective. And one thing that I do give the Kroenkes – I do think that part of why all of their teams are good right now is because they've had very long visions. Have they been too long or whatever? You could debate that if you want to. But I think that they are people that plan extremely long term, which should give you a little bit of comfort here in Denver. We know that the team is locked up for, I think, another like 15 years or something. But it should give you pause that some of the things that we're going to discuss coming up are things that are like, hey, we're planning for the next 30 years, not the next five. Right. And there's also a little bit of culmination going on right now in terms of the success they're seeing in their right. teams. And I was talking recently with Harrison about how NBA players feel particularly outside right now. Sort of the Cronkies, just visible. First of all, we heard Stan, right. so that's a thing. But just seeing and hearing from them, and I, I think there is this, there's probably momentum even on the ownership level right now. I mean, the Avs, the, uh, sure. the Rams, I'm I've been sure saying this. they want to strike it. while the iron is hot. And so we're hearing and we're seeing from them um, I I think there are plenty of valid criticisms that go their way, but their teams are succeeding right now. And we saw him, and then we'll get to this, but the Business Journal plans drop for for what's to come for the Nuggets. It, it it's does, massive. It's massive. It does feel like Josh and Stan are, are excited right now, as they should be, about the Denver Nuggets. The last decade, if you really look at the Cronkies, it's been slow builds for the Avs and Nuggets. Yeah. And it's been like... 
the developmental build for the Rams. Like that's where they've been putting all their money in. There's so that. It's led some people to say, do they care more about the Rams than they care about anyone else? I have no idea. I will say, Stan Kroenke. Again, we're playing body language doctor here. Yeah, yeah. kind of lit up when he talked about the Nuggets. Little little twinkle in his eye when he got to the Nuggets, just talking about like, "Hey man, we got this great team over here." I was like looking at, it, I was kind of like, you, "You think I didn't do the like film study where I'm yeah. like, hold on, let me no, see." No, I know you like. did. I mean, considering the baseline is silent James Bond villain, yeah, just any, even an eyebrow raising feels like some emotion. I'm just saying he was at a Broncos event and he brought up you know right. his excitement for the Denver Nuggets right. here. So I just I want to put that in there. Um, but more to the point. You now have have two of the richest owner in all of, all of sports. One that's significantly more rich than than the other, but still, Stan's not. Um, you know, he's not pinching penny. He's not hurting for money. He also has more than average money for an NBA owner. And you have this big plan. There have been talks about are, are the football stadium going to get moved out to DIA. Is it going to be way out I there? Know. This or that. And last night, I just gave me a little bit of hope. And and even reading in the Business Journal today, one of the lines in here was this new thing that they are building. The hope is, or one of the hopes is, that it connects the yes. three major stadiums. You're talking about the Rockies, the Broncos, and the Avs and Nuggets. And to me, I always think cities are coolest when those things are connected in some way. And they don't have to be right next to each other. Right. Sometimes that can actually be bad when they're too close. Because then it's like that whole area just becomes like, you know, becomes too unique. But the whole idea of this development, if I read it off here, it's going to be 12 million square feet of residential, retail, office, hotel, education, and open space. Parks, right? Parks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's almost like, it, it almost sounds like a giant McGregor Square that they're trying to build now next to River Mile, which is a separate right. development. I think they also are, are connected to in some capacity, but another one next to that. The point is, the plans here are grandiose. They're yeah. not small, like we're just going to put up something here. It's an all-encompassing thing. Roughly 40% of it looks like new residential units, 6,729 new residential units, which, by the way, being a real estate guy, I don't know if you guys know this. I did it for a long time. Dense urban housing is very important. So it's actually kind of cool that they're going to build this many new places downtown. Uh, obviously, they'll probably be pretty high-end places, but it's it's just good to see that there's so many people not moving them deeper into the burbs, but having this well, is, is a good thing yeah, for the city. Yeah, exactly. Um, retail buildings. And then, yes, like a, a giant uh, bike path that goes all the way through the middle of it that, again, connects. You can get to, um, what is it called? Dick Sporting Goods? What, what is the one now? No, it's, um, what's the name of the football stadium now? Empower Field. Empower Field. Field. I always forget Empower. I've, got, I I've followed him for like so many sponsors. And now I'm lost. Empower Field, uh, Ball Arena, and even a little bit more of a, a jump to get over to, to Coors Field. I just think it's such a... Oh, I love it, man. I, that's, to me, the... Sports stadiums are the beating hearts of of the downtown area. Correct, and I actually think, in some ways, they feel as close as they are. Maybe a little too segregated. Like, I think changing the flow of that and sort of building it around those three things right. is really exciting in terms of a revitalized or reimagined downtown. But I agree with you. My single biggest takeaway was that line about the idea of connecting these these places and what that implies about no stadiums going anywhere. You know. Obviously, we know he knows Rob very well. As you just said, five decades they've known each other. So if, as mentioned in these big, grandiose development plans, if a part of it is Bronco Stadium being right there, it's a good sign. Right. It's a good sign. And I'm glad they understand that because I, I just think 
there's nothing better for a city than having downtown sports arenas. It's my favorite thing. That proposed trail, the 5280 trail, would pass right through the development. And in the development, I don't know if it's being called this or they're just referring it to it here, but the Wine Coop Promenade. Wine Coop Promenade. It sounds nice. It does sound nice, doesn't it? And it yeah. sounds like actually Denver, too. It would have been weird if it was called like the Cronky Square. I mean, it, I know people Something like that. <laughs> have all kinds of reactions to change, particularly in the realm of development. But some of, some of this, to me... Sounds very exciting. These are parts of downtown that could you changing the flow of it to me is a very exciting kind of thing. Twelve percent of it new open space, public open space, yeah. which would be cool. Yeah, again, cool. just making it a cool part. So again, um, just cool to see. Like I, we talked about this a while back. Why aren't there plans for the, um, you know, the training facility? Maybe these things aren't connected. But my theory was that the development is so much bigger than just the, this thing it's that it involves it. all yeah. of this. And I have a sense that that's what we're getting at here. So I don't know. Like, it's it's a little thing. We'll see it when it, it's probably going to take a decade, maybe more. Yeah. It's going to be a long-term project. But there is something cool about like, hey, we heard from Stan and this plan seemed very forward-thinking and long-term for the city. Might as well be slightly optimistic, I guess, yeah, about sure. it. Keep, and keeping everything right where it is. I love that. Love yeah. that. yeah, exactly. The Nuggets all the way up in Commerce City would have been a, a real oh bummer. Oh, my God. I have a hard time getting me to go. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> all right, that does it. Thanks to our guest, Dan Favalli. Tomorrow we do have uh, on the show Tony Jones. Uh, planned it before last Whoa. night, but we, before yeah, last night he was going, going trolling Nuggets, <laughs> Nuggets fans, but we should have him on the show to talk about the Utah uh, Jazz, as well as why maybe he is a little more skeptical. I honestly think it's semantics. Like when you believe the same thing, but you call it different things. This is what I think it is. Like if I say like, oh, I think Jokic is clutch. And you're like, well, no, he has never been clutch in the finals before. That's clutch. And you're like, whoa, okay, well, I agree. But I, I think what he does is considered clutch. Like, and I would project that he would do it. I guess that I would project I think it, that he, that he would, would do be, it yeah. in those moments. But, oh, you're you know, probably right. But Let's I think fight about it anyway, though. Let's go. <laughs> Let's fight. So it should be good. Don't forget, if you're listening to this and you usually join us live, we are on uh, our alternate YouTube channel and probably will be for at least one week. Hopefully this is resolved before we go to Serbia, man. Hopefully. Fingers yeah. crossed. Um, YouTube, you know, what, the, what can I say? They, they botched. Um, hit that like button on the way out. We'll see you later.